morning and welcome to your daily game face everyone i'm dr kim lannon and i'm happy to be back with lou from ireland yeah ireland happy to be back too i well, i saw some beautiful pictures oh, it, was like good, three. it was gorgeous but i didn't see enough but i did see a couple really pretty pictures you don't know how far to go on social media you you put up like three pictures if people get sick people get sick of you well, hopefully i'll get to see stuff. more than those three okay yeah okay good I got to show. I got to put up the photographer's picture, the actual. Well, I know that, but you you did some good like video and beachy pictures oh, yeah. and like. There no, was but no, the, you could actually see there was no fog. I was like, oh, oh no, got to see more oh, we than I did at that. Get so lucky with weather, yeah. So that was good. How was it? And I was bragging because I had the two best shots of the event. There are professional ph photographers all over the place, including my daughter and uh, the guy she hired and a couple of her friends. And it's like, I got the two shots. That's what I was bragging about the whole time. See? Yep. Have I seen those shots? Yeah, they were up there. Oh, I'm, eh, maybe I did. And maybe I didn't. I'll have yeah. to, you have to show them to me at the end. Oh, like, you've seen that. one. Yeah. You've seen, yeah, they both get put up. Okay. I'll have to go back and look. But was, anyway, so well, welcome back. Thank you. How long were you there? Uh, Wednesday to Monday. So okay. five so days, six days. Back. Yeah. I got back Monday. Yeah. Well, welcome back uh, to the yeah. beautiful weather of the springtime in New England, which is fantastic because we're going to talk about me for a minute. Yep. <laughs> it's like it Florida compared show. to over there. You what? It's like Florida compared to over there. Well, yeah, yeah. it's time of year. So, yeah. but today is 70 degrees here, which is very unusual. Mm -hmm. We have blooming flowers. We, of course, I'm draining, you know, because I have allergies. Yep. Of course, it's, I got seven alerts this morning at 630 to tell me the pollen was high. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have Sudafed it up this morning okay. already. Yep. Um, so I don't, you know, weep all over the table in here, which Thank you. we may still have. Yep. Um, but, uh, this they're saying, and I don't, I've learned over, this is my eighth year. If you guys don't know, I'm running the Boston marathon. <laughs> really? Um, I, really? <laughs> you should have, have mentioned a funny it. story about yeah. that this weekend when yeah. I mentioned it to someone that knows me really well, she's like, Oh, who cares? And that was basically, she, I said, I'm running the marathon this week. And she looked, it means it again. And I said, yes. And she goes, Oh, who cares, Kim? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Yeah. Um, but this, this is something I learned back in 2018. Hmm, I think it was 18. I'm sure somebody that listens will correct me if I have the wrong year, but pretty much every year I've run has been really crappy weather. Maybe one has been a little like October, but that was an off because it's weird because we did in October. We always do it in April. So you train through this freezing cold in January, March, you know, we sort of get a little bit nicer in April. Yep. Usually there's some kind of snowstorm, whatever. And so I don't watch the weather because I just prepare for the misery of what I've gone through. And in 18, it was, um, Sleeting, hailing, yeah. snowing, 42 mile an hour winds at my face. Good Lord. I don't remember picking my head up off the ground in terms of like looking up pretty much ever, because if you did, it was like pelting you yeah. um, every mile. I And I'm not joking. Every single mile was if I make it one more mile, I'm not hypothermic and I haven't injured myself. I'll keep going or yeah. I'm quitting. Um, and if it was anything other than the Boston Marathon, I would have quit one mile in because it was so horrific. Yeah. The highlight of that right race, besides the fact that I finished um, and happily, um, was that right at the last mile. So when you come, if you've never been to Boston or if you don't know what I'm talking about, right at the last mile or so, you can see the big sit go sign. Now, that yeah. sign is very prominent in Boston because 
for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. But for the Boston Marathon, once you see that sign, you know you're almost at the turn to get to the finish line. So you've got roughly a mile when you can really see it well. So when I saw the Sitco sign, it was so cool. It was all the rain and everything that had been brutal stopped. Oh, nice. And yeah. it was a rainbow. Oh, and so it's one of my most amazing memories of all of the times I've done the Boston Marathon. And of course, I didn't have my phone on me for the very first time because I didn't take it with me because it was raining. Yep. I didn't want to get it wet. So I have no pictures of that. How Boston <laughs> but is But other that, people though? got pictures and posted it up. And I was like, I swear to God, there was a rainbow. Yep. Um so it's the most Boston thing I can think of. A rainbow over the Sitco sign. <laughs> uh, seriously, it was so funny. Yep. So um but anyway, so saying all of that, the the weather forecast I typically don't watch. I watch other people watch it and giggle to myself because I've literally been through horrific weather and right. lots of injury stuff going through this marathon many times. And then just this morning came through my feed and I just happened to see it and it struck that um, best weather of springtime Boston Marathon predicted for the past blah, yeah. blah, blah years since blah, blah, blah. And so I looked at the weather and actually it's looking really good and in, in, in our favor, in our runner's favor. Yep. So in our favor for the Boston Marathon is typically we have a um, headwind, not a tailwind. Um, and typically it's crappy weather. Yep. Right now we, well, it was looking like it was going to be 70. Now we're looking like we're in the fifties by the time us regular non-elite runners get off the ground. So we're going to be like roughly in the fifties. And it's going to be nice, like not over the top with heavy sun, but just probably a little bit, a little cloud cover. And we're going to supposedly have a tailwind. Now I say this, knowing that it's Wednesday, oh, well, and this yeah. is why I don't watch the weather because, but, you know, because it's in the past five days that I've, that I've heard people not watch it, but heard people talking about it. I'm like, la, 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 because yep. it's been, it's going to rain. It's going to pour. Now it's not going to pour. Now it's going to be 80. Now it's gonna... so. And today they're reporting this. And so, yeah, that's what I was laughing about. I was in the airport and the feed, the feed said perfect marathon weather. Yeah. And I was thinking of you and I'm, I'm thinking it's Monday. <laughs> like, how do well, we know what's, how do we know what's going to be next week? We don't know. And that's why I yeah. have, I've learned over the years that, and I see people in, so I'm on the charity teams, you know, website or their, their Facebook feed. And there's a lot of new people running this year for the first time. And so everyone, you know, that first time, like, you know, how do you prepare and all this stuff? And, and I keep answering like, wait till Sunday night, wait yep. till Sunday night, wait till mm -hmm. Sunday night. Cause doesn't matter. Yep. And people are like, well, bring your sleeves and bring you that. I'm like, just wait till Sunday night. Cause, yeah. cause, and, and you can't have people don't realize cause you're, you get bust out to Hopkinton. So you have no way of, well, if you take a BAA, a Boston Athletic Association bus, you can leave your stuff and bag check it in Boston. So you have stuff at the end. But if you don't and you're taking like a club bus like I am, whatever, we can't leave our stuff because they don't bring our stuff back. So everything we bring with us has to be tossed. Right. So you have to plan for that. So if you're a person who's the first time listening to my show today and you're taking a BAA bus, make sure you do your gear check. If you are not and you are just going on a club bus or you're doing a regular charity team bus or your own whatever, make sure you know that you have no place to get any of your stuff back. You will. So don't bring anything expensive that you want to keep or any jackets. So bring nice. options, but you lose them. 
just we right yeah. and the, well so there's a really cool thing about running world and community because we're a tight family and we're very conscientious of the community and the environment and blah 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 um the Boston Marathon does a beautiful job, and Dave McGilvery, I'm going to give him a shout out. He does a beautiful job organizing with his team that all the garbage and all the stuff that's on the side has, is immediately picked up, and it's all recycled, and all of the clothing that's dropped along the way gets picked up and donated. Yep. So it's not wasted. It's not gone. You know, it's not thrown away or garbage. It's it's all utilized. So it's pretty great. I think a lot of marathons all do that now, but. I'm just particularly impressed with there's 30,000 runners this year again, which is up 10 from last year from the pandemic. And we're back to full capacity essentially. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a interesting hot mess and yeah. we're back to the normal. So we're not doing that rolling start. That was so much fun last year that we just get off the bus and go. Yeah. So now we have to wait. So I don't get off the, I don't get off the line till like 11. Mm. So, but that's okay. That's but, okay. Yeah. Just it just puts me into Boston much later because I'm not. I, so that's the other thing I was coming to <laughs> is why I'm leaving. I'm I'm going to make sure that we wrap up very quickly today at the end, um, because uh, I've had a little foot issue that yeah. I typically don't talk about, but you know about it. Yep. But I diagnosed myself a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> after as you know i do um thank god i'm, a, I'm so you're a, finally a, gonna have something done about it like so five days I diagnosed before the race a few weeks yeah. ago and started to self-fix it yep it wasn't working because I, I knew i needed a little bit extra so of course thank god i know the best orthopedic sports medicine um chiropractor in the world and and he loves to torture me. I love him. And he's been a guest here, so I can, you know, say yep. that. So it's Dr. Mike Calhoun in Andover, Mass. Um, and he has worked with the Boston Marathon before and as a doc for them. And um, he's really good friends of the family. And it just happens to be that my husband and he have been best friends and friends for like 30-something years. So, you know, it's good. Yep. So anyway, so I, um, at the last-ditch effort last week... Really? With two weeks to go. I've been talking about this for two months. I know. I yeah. know. But last week, I finally decided, okay, so I have a navicular. That's what it's called. A navicular bone. It's a little accessory bone that's like on the side of your foot. That as you get older and you get flatter feet and you're an overpronator, which I am, which means I, when I walk or run, I roll in, not mm -hmm. out. Yep. So I wear on the inside. Um, and I used to say it was because I was, you know, a little too heavy, which that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that I overpronate and my foot is getting flatter. On my right side, I um, get this massive cramp that I talked about, remember in October, yep. underneath my feet and had to walk 10 miles instead of run it. Um, yeah, well, that started hurting the more long runs I was doing. So when I did that big long run about three or four weeks, like three weeks ago, ooh, it was bad and it was all swollen and whatever. So so last week I went and I, I um, did what we call the ARP wave, which it's a little electrostimulating. It retrains the neurology of the pattern of the area that's mm -hmm. deranged and it rearranges it. Um, it can be a little painful and uh, yep, there's a lot of swearing and there's <laughs> a lot of swearing at Dr. Calhoun at times yep. and um, you know, cause he has to put the dial up as we go and, so yeah, that helped, but I've been dry needling. So I have to run out of here today. Hi, Cameron. Um, uh, I have to get a little dry needling and a little massage on the back of my calf this morning. 
so that I can run it the best I can because I have orthotics in right now. I'm running, yeah. I'm running on stuff that I probably won't run on on Monday, but I'm going to hope that everything I'm doing preventatively right now will just get me through so that I don't have to do that 10 mile walk that I did at the end of yeah. the one in October for the same reason that happened in both feet. Tell yeah. me, tell me about dry needling. Cause you brought I it up when I, needling. when I had the IT band issue. Yes. Yeah. So, so the, there's some, there's, well, in your feet, there's some reflex points, some pressure points, et cetera. And it just happens to be, I have the cramp around the one of them mm -hmm. that gets, cause it's where it's getting cramped in the shoe and, and, and getting squished. Um, so the needling goes into that little nerve area so that it activates it and it stimulates it to kind of untangle itself i'm just doing it visually as you know so yep. you, people can understand so it kind of unravels it in a way so that it releases itself and it allows the foot to relax so it will take the pressure off so that it's like you know it it actually makes it spread out and go flatter so it's not a bundle of yep. like tension oh, and yep. tightness um so it doesn't give the referral pain up to that accessory navicular bone um is it a variation of acupuncture is it oh so dry needling itself concepts? so it is a variation of of acupuncture so um my understanding is because i've had both but in acupuncture it's just lots of little teeny needles that you really don't feel going in right that just stay in place and kind of in the in the area of the chakra or the pressure point or the reflex point or whatever this is a little this is a little bit more stimulating yeah um a little more is, aggressive this is a little more aggressive yeah because you know it's gonna yeah. fix the problem faster so um he's been doing it in three spots on my foot right close by each other all in little trigger points um and when he puts them in which i usually am fine with it's once he starts turning it and hitting the nerve i usually have a little jump here and there yep. because what it does is once it hits the nerve to un do it to say eh, you're you're stuck it gives you a little shoot up the leg it's hmm. not painful but it's a little surprising because yeah. it's like a it's like a little um i don't know how to describe it it's not it's not painful but it's a weird feeling yeah so it's a little shocking if you haven't done it before like when you hit you your funny bone or with acupuncture like you hit when you hit your funny bone or something like that yeah not it, it doesn't hurt yeah so oh, that, it yeah. just feels like tingly, but a little bit more intense of a tingle, yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so it's not like you're smacking your elbow and going, oh, not like that. It's more like, so, so yeah. So I have to go get tortured after this for at least one more time before the marathon. So that. Well, you got plenty of time to work on it. You can... <laughs> Thank you for the facetiousness of the fact that I have five days more. Yeah. So I will. Well, I, I will... wouldn't mind if it were an injury that just came up, but it's an injury as you you're talking October. I know. Yeah. I've already told everyone to stop yelling at me. <laughs> Listen, you know me. I had to diagnose myself first. Yeah. Well, you've been yelling at yourself. Diagnose me. Yeah. This is the problem of my profession in my head is I have to figure it out. I have to say, though, I went to two different people between October and going to see Dr. Calhoun. And all they kept saying was it's plantar fasciitis. And I was like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Because no, it's not. Yep. And I kept explaining, and they're like, it's just because you have plantar fascia. And no, it's not. Yeah. No. So I don't go for the tip. I just knew it wasn't that. And yep. so I did my research and I did lots of reading. And being my father's daughter, I was not <laughs> accepting the general run of the mill, like, here, slap this 
thing on your foot and and tape it and then run. No. Yep. But it just took me till two weeks ago. So I'm excited. <laughs> so this should be very entertaining because in my head, all I have in my head that I'm fighting off cognitive behaviorally. So it's good for my listeners to hear that I use my own work. Um, my cognitive behavioral stuff in my head is continually fighting off that 16 mile stop that I did on the bridge in Newton in October where I wanted to throw my shoe because <laughs> I thought it was something else yep. at the time. But now I realize and I'm thinking, you know, so I'm fighting off the, okay, mile 16, getting past mile 16 and not being fully walking. Yeah. <laughs> so I have just, to, it's... so I've adjusted myself, Lou. So what I've done is I not, I've changed my goals there. The goal, cause last year, all my goals went out the window other than to finish. And so, which was fine. Cause I didn't care at that point for the time. Cause I was in so much pain. I was actually walking in a supernate. So I was turning out because it was so painful and I probably should have taken off my shoes and just walked barefoot. Cause that probably would have been better. Um, but uh, I changed my goals this year and changed my way of running time wise. Um, we all get caught up. We have, we have committees in our heads that about, although we can be a very tight running community, there's some, occasionally some judgmental people about how slow or fast you are. And given that I am an elite athlete, but in a different sport, there's an expectation that comes with that with me that I'm supposed to be like, right. you know, qualifying for like the world marathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, and I don't have time to train like that. Plus I have asthma and I have like, a, and I never just talk about that because then people say, well, that's an excuse. So yeah. I just do my thing. So yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not a turtle and I'm not, you know, speedy Gonzalez. I'm, the in-between. And this year, because of this foot issue, I'm going to just do my thing and run my race like I always try to. But this year, I'm really going to be like, I'm going to do like a run walk. And so it's going to be a minute on, a minute off, a minute on, a minute off. So I preserve my foot and make it through more consistently without getting frustrated that yeah. I'm losing control of my foot. Because... I have to be realistic with myself. And I'm like, remember, I told you, this is the year that I'm extra practicing what I preach to go out and <laughs> do the things that take care of me first and not worry about the committee in my head that right. actually I said to John last night, the committee usually doesn't have faces and names in our heads. Mine does. So I need to get all those toxic people out of my head from all their commentaries about yeah. how I am slow or I'm fat or blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So I'm excited. I actually am excited because I feel like I'm in more control of this race than all the seven before, because I feel like, wow, I've got an extra good plan on this. Talk about the balance between diagnosing yourself and because so many people, and I fall victim to it myself, you just stop looking stuff up. You go to the doctor and they tell you something and all of a sudden you want to know everything about it and you don't have a medical background. So you often take it down the wrong path, but you also have to advocate because too many times the doctors that you see will take the easy way, plantar fasciitis. Yes. Everybody's got it. So they assume that's what it was, right? They'll right. take the easy way out a lot of times. I mean, I've been misdiagnosed so many times. Right. You have well, to advocate for yourself, but at the same right. time, you can drive yourself nuts doing that. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of people using Dr. Google. That's yeah. what I say. Yeah. I, you know, I have lots of patients that will come in and say, I Google this and this is what I think I have. And I usually giggle to myself. And often if I know them well enough, I'll say, oh, you use Dr. Google and you're wrong because Dr. Google typically leads you down. Every single path will end in death. Right. So if you, if you watch it and you look at anything is like, it's either blood clot, 
embolism or death. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm, I mean, I'm being facetious, but it's actually true. Like it's going to be like, Oh, it's something really basic or you're going to die. So, um, I'm I not respect big... that and understand that, but you also have to question your doctors. I well, mean, you have so, to have a healthy. So there, right. Yeah. So there's two things here. If oh, there's a couple of things. So advocacy is really important. And people are afraid to advocate for themselves because in power differential environments of doctor versus when I've talked about this with people with me, I'm like, ask me anything. If I don't know, I'm certainly willing to say, hey, I don't know. And if I even know and you don't believe me and you want to go have a second opinion, please, by all means, do that. It won't hurt my feelings kind right. of thing. Right. Yep. But many doctors aren't like that. And many people are um, and many people do go off to Dr. Google and diagnose themselves and then they don't go in and try to help get themselves help for it. They try to fix it themselves that don't have the medical background. I'm an anomaly on the board because I was raised in a medical background. I'm raised by a person by, well, my, one of my parents has sports medicine and kinesiology and yep. physiology and all that stuff behind him. And so I was raised knowing all the body parts and how they function and how, you, you know, kinetics and motor connections and blah, blah, blah. So I know what I'm looking for. So it's a upside of my career and a downside just because I know what I know. And sometimes yeah. <laughs> then it prevents me from going and doing it early enough. That's what gets in my way. Cause I'll try to fix it myself first, but for other people that don't, <laughs> we just described that for a half an hour, but yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? Yeah. It's not been a half an hour. It's been 10 minutes. Okay. Jeez. Thank you for your criticism. It's noted. <laughs> Welcome back. It's just caring, that's all. Yeah, that's caring. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for people that that want to know what's wrong with them and they do go out and diagnose themselves but don't have that medical background, you know, it's a try. I say triangulate. Like, okay, that's fine. Go and look at it, but be reasonable. Don't go to don't go to Wikipedia. That's your worst place. Yeah. Go to WebMD. Go to like the you know Mayo Clinic or something that's an actual medical symptom checker kind of thing. Um, most of the time you'll always end up uh, after you do the little bar that they run you through is like, call your physician. So you're going to be ending up doing that anyway. Um, but if you know, like really where something's hurting you, because like, for instance, in my foot and forgive me Lou, for talking about this a little bit extra. No, that's, that wasn't the, that wasn't the foot, quote unquote be, criticism. Because, because under my foot, my arch is where the symptom really starts mm -hmm. that's where everyone kept going to and i'm like it's not there though that's where i'm ending up getting a cramp but that's not where the problem is and yeah. i kept pointing to the navicular bone and i can't tell you how many times i've mentioned the navicular bone to people that should know in my field of of doctoring not psych but just regular sports med or whatever yep. that don't even know what navicular bone is really? so i had to bring i had to bring not to Dr. Calhoun, but I had to bring to a doctor a little article on how 14% of runners get this problem exactly where I'm showing. Yeah. And actually one of the most famous runners in our country, um, female has had hers taken out because it was causing her so much problem. So it's not like this is unheard of. Um, but I think that if you are really good at describing it in your advocacy for yourself and not just kind of saying, yeah, it's in this spot and it kind of hurts there. You got to be really much more educated to be able to describe what is going on, even though the downside of that is a lot of doctors won't take the time with you to yeah. 
to listen to that, they're very much about like what you just said earlier that, you know, okay, it's, it's this. And so we'll just, you know, tape it, PT it and whatever, but there's, it's not, that's why when someone said plantar fasciitis, I'm like, it's not. Is this the foot equivalent of the hammock bone in the hand? Is it the foot equivalent of what? A hammock bone in the um, hand. Baseball injury. Yeah. I'm trying to. Mm, A lot of hitters, uh, break that or have problems with that and I would, have it removed. I would say it's kind of a, no, I mean, I know it is. I'm trying, um, it's kind of a close comparison. Cause yeah, it's kind of extra. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it would be. The commonality is, is yeah. that, that little, it's an unusual, but it's, it's, it's the one-off that you'd be like, Oh, it's not your general because it, but it's a little extra cause it's yep. overuse or something's yep. happening there. So I'm pushing now because I'm being treated for high blood pressure and it hasn't responded the way, you know, th what we've gone through so far hasn't responded. So I'm finding it hard. I have to push people along. All right, well, let's get a little more aggressive. Let's, right. you know, oh, what do I need to do to get a little more aggressive with this? Oh, see, well, then you and I haven't obviously talked about this. So off here, I'll make sure I tell you what to do that's more aggressive for it. Yeah. Um, well, and, and there's always like in that kind of situation, like hypertension, there's the standard protocol. Yep. So, you know, I, I have a client that has a standard protocol of, and, and my, I have a client that's a doctor and she's a standard protocol going on of, of high blood pressure medication. And when we talked about it, I said, oh no, I said, that's not going to help. I said, you got to do this. Yeah. And she just went back to her person. Cause you obviously don't self-prescribe. And she just said, this is what I need. And the doctor's like, okay. And now it's, she's much better. Yeah. So it's, you know, the benefit of being in the field versus not kind of thing, but being able to take yourself and advocate because you have to be able to describe. And a lot of people don't know how to describe. This is the awareness piece in life. It's that cognitive awareness of, of what is actually hurting. Like my wrist is hurting me, but yeah. is it really my wrist or like, is it my elbow or where is it generating from? So, so using my example, um, when I went to my sports masseuse the other day over the weekend, she said, not only was it my foot, but my, my whole right side, she said she could draw a line down my whole body and know that she, she could feel issues going all the way up my right side. Cause I've been compensating oh, yeah. for the overpronation on that side. Yep. And so I had, I had, um, the only, she said the only place I didn't have an issue was in my hamstring. So I had a calf issue going on. I had a hip issue going on on that side that she released. I had all these like mid back issues all the way up through my neck, even to the side, which even my chiropractor, Dr. Calhoun, he, I could feel he, right before he does the anticipatory, you know, readjust yep. to the neck that I always crunch for. Oh, I, hate that. Um, yeah. I could feel him. I knew he doesn't speak. So I was like, Oh, he found that spot that she had. And I knew it was coming yep. because he, he, and then afterwards he's like, yep, your whole right side. So it's not chiropractors. No stuff. They chiropractors are amazing. Yep. They get a bad rap or they get an under under yep. mind rap as a doctor. Cause they're superstars and they're amazing. And they know the body. I think sometimes better than any other doctors I've ever met. Um, and the, way of treating things is, I mean, I've been to some that are whew, in back in my day in gymnastics that are just like, okay, that's what yeah. are we doing? But when you have someone who really specializes in, in it and has a focus and desire and passion for it, like in anything, I think they're really good. And yeah. I think he's really good. But they're like, it, a, they're like a body scan. Cause they can pick out, yeah. they pick out all these areas. They know exactly where your troubles right. are. And, and often they can trace it back and 
you know, often they they're finding the core of it. Well, and and the best thing about and and I, and I've seen this trend even more now. The best thing about a chiropractor is they're hands-on. Typical your typical run-of-the-mill everyday doctor, like what whether it's an emergency room doctor or a PCP or even yeah. a podiatrist, there's not a lot of touching. Nope. To feel like let's feel what's going on here. Um, you know, I just and I it's just impossible in in physical world of medicine not to be hands-on yeah and i have found more and more that m more doctors will look at you and go huh well that i think this is what it is i'm like but you didn't you didn't touch it you don't have a clue you yeah know? they're going on what you say which is kind of interesting because you don't have the capability to as you've been talking about express accurately what's going on you you may present a symptom but you, you don't know where the source is many people don't know where the source is or right. what's causing it and that's and that's to the point where people and and here's the thing, understand that doctors many times, especially specialists, you go see a back specialist, they're not looking at your foot. If you get a really good holistic specialist or a good PT person, like mm -hmm. I know an amazing, I know two really amazing PTs, they'll look at the problem where you're talking about, and then they'll go to where they think it's really beginning and they'll do a whole assessment. Whereas if you go to like, you know, I'm going for my foot to the podiatrist, they look at the foot. They don't look at how's that working on your knee? Are we needing to push, you know, do you need a tibia readjustment? Do you need a hip readjustment? Do you, I, they don't do any of that in uh, my experience. Our mutual buddy, Jeff Shank has a saying, and it fits here perfectly. If all he has is a hammer, all you see is nails. Right. Exactly. Like if you want to go, if you want a decision between surgery and therapy and you go to a surgeon, you're going to get the surgical option. Exactly. You want to go to a therapist, you're going to get the therapy option. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so because that's and, the tool they work with. And right. And so and I think that if you go and I think that's why I bring up the naturopath and the holistic person for doctors, because which is how I practice is you look at the whole person, mm -hmm. even if someone's like, so I'm not a person that obviously does hands on. I do brain. Right. So I don't just look at how someone's thinking and feeling. I look at what medical conditions are going on in their life? What is going on in their family life? What's going on in their actual physical body? What's happened? Like it's the, it's a full systems check. Yep. What are they taking for medication? Who's impacting their life? What are they doing for work? Like, so that it's the but same part kind of your of job so is you're really holistically yeah. looking at the whole consideration of what's contributing to high blood pressure in this person that needs stress management that may not need three pills Instead, they just need a yoga class and maybe one pill, right? So it's yeah. it's that kind of difference. Yeah, because you're dealing with physiological things right. as well as uh, psychological psychological things, right? Yeah. So that and that's what my, so that's why I'm an integrated medical practitioner in that way for mental health is because I take that whole consideration because I find in my belief system is that if you don't wellness wise go through the whole system and really do a check you have no idea what's going on because someone comes in and just says, I'm tired and I've just been feeling down. I can't tell you how many times a little teeny description like that has turned into finding out there's post-traumatic stress, there's been sexual abuse, there's alcoholism in the, like, there's, there's always these other things that people are like, oh, I didn't think that was important. Yeah. I have two clients right now that every couple of weeks, I, I, we have a laugh about it because I, I do have good levity in my office is, I call it the doorknob confession. All of a sudden they'll be like, oh, by the way, I'm not sure if you know if this is important or not, but yeah. they blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm like, I should have known that like 
four weeks ago because yep. that would have helped us. Um, they're like, well, yeah, but what happens is people like pain, they get used to the feeling of it yep. and then it becomes normal and automatic. So they don't think of reporting it as anything because it's like, oh, well, that's normal. Yep. It's like, no, that's actually not normal, but you've become normalized and socialized to it being normal. And so no, now you don't report it. So it, it goes, whether it's psychological or physiological or whatever, it's important. So advocacy and self-diagnosis is not, do not do what I'm doing because right. if you don't have the background, don't do that. Um, but Google's out there and unfortunately people go right to the Google, Dr. Google. Yeah. And it, it'll drive you nuts. And that's why, but that's, you can't just, you can't, I just don't think you can ride along you get to try to balance it. Well, there's so much stuff out there. Like if you, like, if you don't know what you're, if you just put in something like, you know, pain in foot, yeah. it will, if you, if you Google pain in foot, you'll get a cancer diagnosis, diabetes, <laughs> yeah. it will give you all these yeah. disorders, cardiovascular risk. You're going to have a heart attack. Like, and my pain in my foot, if I just put pain in foot, that's what I would have seen versus I brought what I did is, you know, I said, Google search on foot bones and I made sure I knew exactly pinpointed because there's so many bones in the foot yep. and I knew where it was hitting. And I was like, there it is. And I wasn't sure I was between two choices that I knew in my head. And I was like, Oh, that's it. And so I did this little function with it. But if you don't know to do that and you just, Oh, I have a pain. Okay. Well now our, you know, my, my head hurts, you know, well now you've got hydrocephalus. I mean, yeah. <laughs> instead of like, you just have a migraine because you have dehydration or something, people just have to know but how you, to look you can for get that. A, and you don't know how to look for that. That's why you go to your doctors. So, yeah. but you can get a feel for your practitioner too. Right. And understand the level of input, uh, how deep they're going. Right. You know, because sometimes you get, especially a GP, Right. You get, there's this problem. Okay. There's a prescription. Take that and go. And it's like, it's rarely an answer. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is met. So, you know, me, I'm not medication first. I'm do all things alternative and then use medication as it's supposed to be, which is supposed to be for temporary. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to not be lifelong if it doesn't need to be depends on the situation. Sure. Obviously there's some exceptions to the rule, but it's just utilize to get it to where it needs to be, but you should do all these other things first before you need to go on medication. And oftentimes I see people, especially in sports, go and get surgeries on, you know, the wrist or their feet. Yeah. Once you start doing, especially feet, once you start doing feet surgeries and ankle surgeries, your entire life and body changes. It really? never is quite the same. Um, and you'll have doctors that are going to say that's not true. But if you go to the community at large that has these surgeries and you talk to people about like how they'll say, Oh, it fixed my foot or it fixed the thing. But now I have this hip issue or I have this funky gait or, yeah. you know, all these things. And so I always, always, which is rare for me to use. I always tell people to try to get PT and alternative remedies for feet and ankle issues and Achilles issues first before they start going to the surgeon because as soon as you go to surgeon it's we're going to do surgery on it yeah, yeah and surgery on feet is big recovery time and you don't have control because once you've moved them around and moved shifted places and mm. yeah. that's an incredibly complex process yes we, we you know it's so natural to us that we don't pay attention to it but right any change in your gait 
right. you know, especially for a runner or something like that. But people don't run, but people walk. They well, use even, their right, gait constantly. Walking. Yeah. So if you're a 30 year old getting foot surgery because you have like a big bunion on your foot, right? You have to know that if you don't have a good surgeon and you don't have like good follow up PT, you potentially have now knee and hip replacements coming down the line by the time you're 50. And people yeah. don't realize that. Yeah. Right. Or if you're very common problem, if you're overweight and, you know, and, and you're 50, let's go with that. You're overweight and you're 50 and you just go like we've talked about before. Oh, it's because I'm getting older. My knees hurt. No, it's because you're overweight and your gait is off because it's trying to adjust your knees and your ankles and your feet are trying to adjust for the weight. So they're in pain because you're not moving enough to lose the weight enough to get rid of the problem. And now what happens? You go into the doctor, they say, we're going to do knee replacements on you. Yeah. Instead of saying, let's try to take 30 pounds off of you first. Yeah. And then let's talk about what the next step would be. But people want quick fixes. It's very hard to get people motivated. As you know, on the one hand, you have an option for the uh, knee replacement. That's going to create more complications as you go on. Plus it's a traumatic, uh, procedure which needs right. recovery time more or as sed- opposed more sedentary time yeah or yeah or opposed to losing weight which is a lifestyle change that's going to have multiple benefits but people don't like that's the that's the least popular lifestyle change people want to do they want the quick fix have you seen all the medi loss medi weight loss sure. things that have popped up yeah and the, it's two new pills that have come up and because I, I watch it because i have so many people that have lifestyle changes that they're trying to make and i get the, the newsletters and the links of, hey, Dr. Lana, did you see this new pill? And then I'll do the research on it because I always want to know. Yep. And then I'll do a couple calls around. And it's just the next quick thing. You know, it's like cool sculpting. You know, everyone, yeah everyone's into that, you know, put the little freezer thing on your patch of fat and it will melt it away. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. One, I know that because my friend who owns a dermatology place asked me to be a guinea pig on it about 10 years ago and really? he said, want to come in and try? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, it's free. I'll do it. And um, yeah, it didn't work for anything. I mean, didn't it, work. No. Wow. Okay. I mean, I shouldn't say that it it didn't work the way I would think it would work or should work or what it touts itself to be. It works to the extent that, and we're talking about cool sculpting now, which is off topic, but it's still yeah. on topic. Um, it worked to the extent that it, I think it inflamed the area to make it appear to look flatter, but I don't think it actually <laughs> remove fat, remove fat or burn fat. It just made it, inflamed so it looked smoother for three months yep so it looked better but i don't think it it went back and then it went back to what it was before so i was like it's easier to do core work and just get rid of it i I want to go back to you you mentioned it physical therapy and i want to go back to that because i think that's something that people bail on so much with procedures especially now with all these hip replacements and things like that that's the most important part of the procedure isn't it the, the physical therapy. Yes. Because physical you can therapy, ruin a good, right. you can ruin a good procedure by not performing the physical therapy. Right. So in physical therapy, I think is uh, also gets a, an underrated bad rap. It's because they don't real people don't realize, I think that physical therapists are typically highly trained yeah. doctors in their field or master's level clinicians in the field of physiology and kinesiology. And they know how to rehabilitate you and what physical, 
physical therapists have learned, and, and I have a couple in my life, as I said, that we talk about this all the time. I've learned over the years that physical therapists, instead of sending people home like they used to with exercises, they do it in-house. Mm. So because they know that their clients aren't going to do that. Just like when I send home homework, I know that the compliance level is much lower if I don't do it in the office with them first. Right. So I do the work with them first in the office several times before I expect that they're going to go home and do it on their own. Because the likelihood, what we've learned over time, is that people will not go home and do the exercises, but they will come back and tell you it hasn't worked. And when you say, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. how many times did you try? They'll say, well, once. Right. But I told you to do it every single day, four times for five minutes. And, and that's for some people that that's like, Oh my God, that's so much, but it's really not. Well, you're going so back keep... into their environment of dysfunction. You're going back into the environment that created the issues that they're dealing with. Right. Makes them less capable of dealing with it. Right. So when yeah. you give empowerment and self advocacy and self efficacy, like, Oh, I'm in the hour long PT session and I did all these exercises. Oh, that mean that made it feel better. And I'm taking the band home with me, or I've got a ball at home that I can do that stretch on. Oh my gosh, it it's it's much easier. Whereas they used to just send home a sheet. Yep. Remember back in the yep. day? I mean, I think that they still send home these little sheets. Actually, they don't. My PTs, the two, they send you videos, they send you home with like the band that they were using it. So it's all it's basically handheld to you. Yep. Whereas before it was like, okay, here's this picture, and you're gonna do this with your arm and it's going to be fine. Yep. Um, I that was funny. That was the difference between when I had the IT band issue and went to the chiropractor. She drew, she pulled a roller out right. and just used it for right. like 10 minutes. And I'm going, wow, that's a big difference where I might have I might not have brought it home and used it with the same intensity that, you know, once you understand that it works, you go, yeah, I want more of this. Right. Yeah. Right. Because because you see how it works when you're in in the session. Yeah. Well, it's so funny that you mentioned that because thank you to all my patients who have known me for forever and are very forgiving of the fact that when you walk into my office on occasion, I, I have a very large office down in my Bedford office. So I will often be sitting on the floor <laughs> with a roller, especially in the last couple of weeks, rolling out something. Yep perpetually because I sit so long. So I'm constantly rolling. So I have some patients that are just, they'll come in, they'll bring their lunch, they'll eat while I roll. <laughs> so we have sessions yeah. like that. It's, you know, it works on occasion, you know, um, especially runners when they are coming in and yeah. they're athletes, they're like, I don't care if you roll. So <laughs> they're just talking. They're like, it doesn't bother me. Do you have another so roller? I just yeah. do an extra couple yeah. seconds of rolling because it, it's, it, it's, um, so worth it. And even if you're not an athlete, you don't have to be an athlete to roll. You're going to get that if you have, if you've got like a knee replacement or a hip replacement or whatever, or you're getting ready for that, if you do extra rolling prior to it, the flexibility that comes from extending out your muscle and your ligaments and your tendons from doing just PT exercises prior to doing anything like that, yep. the recovery time is better. Another great point, because I, something I don't even think about, I'm sure most people don't think about the pre-work for a surgery, especially in orthopedic surgery. Right. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. And, or and it can I help you that, a lot. And, yeah. and I don't think that it's emphasized enough from the pre-op point of view enough, unless you've got a team, like if you're an athlete and that's the, and that's the mindset I come from. And I work with so many high-end athletes, that mindset's always we're we've got PT, OT, chiropractic care, psych care, you've got the whole combination. So the team is constantly working as a whole yep. 
So if someone has to have surgery, they're doing that already. Whereas I think kind of your civilian person, like, you know, yep. kind of like military versus civilian, they don't have necessarily the whole team. They've got the one person right. that's the doctor with the nurse. And then they're told, okay, come in, we're going to do some blood work. Don't eat this before. That's the kind yeah. of thing. And they're not saying, you know what, in the next three weeks, I really want you to do these things. The only time I would say that's different, which I've really seen a huge change in, in a couple of the hospitals around here, that's excellent is when people are doing weight loss um, for bariatric surgery, for the, for the, like the stomach. Yep meshing and all that stuff. Um, the requirement is weight loss before it to show that the person can. Yeah. That's a qualification. It's a yeah. qualification yeah. for it. And, um, most doctors requ require you to lose X amount, um, for those surgeries, including, including breast reduction surgeries. And so it surprises me of late. I've had a couple people in my life that are getting breast reduction surgeries and have not been required to lose the weight that needs to happen to, cause they're also yeah. heavier with, right. And um, so most, that's an unusual scenario. Most of the time it's required to take 20, 30 pounds off before they have that, if they're having that surgery. Okay. So you so, can have the skill set to maximize the surgery. Right. Well, and that's, and yeah. that's the whole thing. Or not give the surgery the back. Because yeah. once you take it off, right. Cause you're, if you're talking about the, the, the um, visceral fat, which is, you know, in breasts and like that whole area between the midsection and, you know, the pelvic bone and up, if you don't have the capability, motivation, want, desire to do the work to take that off, you have the surgery and it comes off, the likelihood of you putting that back on and that coming back and being double is really large, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. So that's where I would say that, um, you know, that's changed a lot. And then you're out of runway at that point. Right. Like, there's no surgical there's, answer for that. There's no, yeah. Right. And you, and certainly you could do it again, but I mean, yeah, like that's, you know, it's surgery crazy. is not the answer. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the preventative so that you can have the opportunity. That's why it's like, Oh, lose the weight first, at least a huge portion of it. And then have the surgery so that you've shown yourself that you have the ability to do it. But so there's some doctors who apparently believe that, well, if you have the surgery first, it will give you the motivation to, to drop the weight. Psychology would say that's not the way this works. So that's not the predictability of that. That's actually setting the client up psychologically to rely on the surgery to fix the problem. And then they're going to be very disappointed when, you know, the fact that the tummy tuck is tummy tucked, but they're still doing the same lifestyle or the boobs go away and they're still heavy and they can't figure out like, well, it didn't go away. Right. Cause you didn't do the work. The addictive so, equivalent is detox. If you right. don't change the environment around it, you just go back. Right. Yeah. So if you, if you're a drinker or if you've been doing any kind of drugs or whatever, same exact thing. Like if you don't get the environment and the latitude of the attitude changed and you go back into it, the likelihood of relapse is really high. Absolutely. So and the, the, I found for me personally, the weight loss part of it was, it's just an incredible skill set to have. It just works for everything. You get it can be applied to your whole mental outlook. It right. can be applied to any challenge that you have. If you have the ability to do that, and you you uh, buy into the work and reward system, you know it's, it, yeah, it's, it's something it's, you can take forward. Right. It's it's having the want. Not what people always old old school is willpower. Nothing to do with willpower. No, no it can't be because you will. can't sustain willpower. Right. Yeah. You can't sustain willpower, but you can't sustain want. I want this. Therefore, I'm going to seek out the ways to do it. And then I'm going to maintain them. And if I slip in the maintenance of them, 
that doesn't mean I, I'm done and start over or quit. It means I just reset from where I was and keep going. Right. That's how we do addiction work now. That's how we do weight loss work now. That's right. But there is that old school mindset of, you know, you get, I call it the efforts, but without using the real word, right? People give them the efforts and go, oh, well, I had the piece of chocolate cake, so I'm just going to eat pizza and a bagel for the rest of the day and I'll start tomorrow. It's like, yep. no, the next food choice, because you have the chocolate, there's nothing wrong with the chocolate cake, but your next food choice needs to be like the salad with the, with whatever, not yeah. now well, forget it. I'll eat pizza at midnight. No. I used to describe it as I just don't eat stupid hundred percent of the time. Right. But yeah. the problem, so here, yes. And we've talked about that, but the problem with that is you have the motivation and desire and understanding to know that it's really don't eat stupid, you know, 50% of the right. time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas when you, when a lot of people say don't eat stupid hundred percent of the time, they just go, okay, 10% of the time I won't eat stupid. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I get it. They go, yeah. they, yep. Their math goes in the reverse. And it's like, well, I ate, I ate a salad today. That's what I get a lot yeah. from, from clients and even my friend life. Right. I had a salad today and I'll say, what else did you eat? You know, we're doing like I have clients that are trying to gain weight and I have try, clients that are anorexic and bulimic. And then I have co clients who are trying to lose. So I'm, it's I had a salad. OK, what else did you have? And then I get this. Well, I had a handful of M&Ms and then I had a piece of pizza yeah. and then I had a donut. And but that was this morning and I had lots of water and then I'm going to have. <laughs> and I'm like, uh -huh. and I had a salad. Yeah. And I had soup. But oftentimes the challenge is other people in your um, life, usually in your home, aren't on the same program. And so you need cooperation or you need, it's not willpower, but you need the strength to not get locked into the fact that your kids aren't eating to lose weight. Well, the, your the, kids are eating the M&Ms and they're eating, you know, well, they're eating pasta they and, and they're eating constantly. They're, yeah. they're eating the modeling of what they've been taught. Yeah. So if you're not teaching that in the environment, they're going to do it. You know, if you're in a self-soothing environment, they're going to self-soothe. Right. That's, I think that's one of the great things about, I'm not sure what the GOLO program does now, but I know that the Noom program, the cognitive behavioral program for weight loss, teaches people how to be able to live in their environment. Um, done lots of research on this because I have a lot of clients that have, that Noom has worked really well for. And, and I follow Noom a lot because it's kind of my mindset as well. Um, but it's when you, when you live in an environment that, even though the, all the food items might not be there, but the, the mentality is, well, self-soothe, you have to make your choices first. You can't be like, you know, it's like when you go to the dinner table, if you're, if you're a last order, like I'm always last, the typical psychology behind the person that orders last is that they're waiting to see what everyone else is doing so they can justify when they order the thing that's not so good for them, right? right? Or they'll switch their mind. Like at the beginning, they might be having like salmon and a salad and all that. But when everyone else ordered ravioli and, you know, veal osabuco yeah. and whatever, now they're like, oh, well, F it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So instead of that is you have to have the mentality of even if you're a last order, you already know what you're having. Like you're sticking to what you know makes you yep. feel good. So you're not going to eat that. So I allow myself to have like gluten-free pasta. Occasionally I've had recently, big mistake. I had some glutened pasta. Uh, really? It didn't sit well with me. And 
not be, you know, it's that same bagel thing that I have. Right. So <laughs> it's like, uh, whatever you eat it and then you regret it. Oh yeah. I regretted it even, even while I was eating it. Cause I could feel it. Yeah. And it was like, this is so stupid. Um, but it's that, it's that knowing before you go in of like, I know what restaurant I'm going to. And I have, I have a client who does this and we actively talk about this on a weekly basis. She goes out with her husband. She knows what restaurant they're going to go to. She will do a search on their, on their website to find typically what they have so that she knows going in what she's going to have. And now people would say, Oh, that's no fun. Well, when you're going in a cheesecake factory and the pretty much all the options start at 1100 calories and your and your and your calorie count for a female a day is 1200 calories yep. and you're eating a piece of cheesecake that's 1400 calories full and you're having a full appetizer and you're at 6000 calories sometimes before you walk out oh, yeah it's so and, easy it's scarily it's, easy and you can't your body can't do that I used to hang out with my daughter when she'd waitress and she was at the nines when they switched the menu to the calorie count. Yeah. And it's like, I cannot eat anything on this menu. I couldn't find anything I could eat on that menu. Right. And feel good about it, you know, right. or it's just, you know, and, and what you make decisions, it's funny. I get into these decisions in restaurants all the time and I get kind of criticized for it. And it's like, well, you like, you know, it was like, uh, there was a au jus thing with some bread and I'm going, oh, but the bread because, but you like bread. And I said, yeah, but it's not worth it. Right. You know, it's like I do like it and I'll enjoy it, but I'd rather spend those calories on something else, you know. And it's and it's and I always tell people that bread is just there to occupy your time. Yeah. And so I'm I'm actually really good at I'm I don't like bread. So one, I'm not a big bread eater. So if it if it comes to the table, I have no issue yeah, being no, able to kind of bypass it. Yeah. It doesn't even it's not even there to me. But as soon as it hits the table, you can see people like, oh my God. It's because they're bored. It's the hungry, angry, lonely, tired thing. They're bored. Yep. So it's like, okay, while I'm waiting for my other pieces of meal to come, I'm going to add in this extra thing, but they're not realizing that they're adding in, you know, butter and all the stuff that comes along with the bread. Now they're up four or 500 calories, which if they have sat all day and there's no, you know, the equation for how much you have to burn to, yep. you know, you know, they have to be in a 500 calorie deficit, yep. but now they've eaten 500 calories in bread, which is usually two pieces of garlic toast. You have to be educated on that kind of like you have to be educated on your body and advocating for yourself when you go to the doctor. You have to be educated on it, but people don't take the time to do that, which is why people struggle in their wellness and health is because they don't make the active decision to make those active decisions. They just go through life automatically, not thinking about it or right. not thinking that it matters or not even or they decide that the piece of bread is worth more than the health and right it's like it's just or it's just you get this you you get this a lot and god love my friend who passed away last year he would often say on a daily he'd be like it's just today yeah it's just today and i love him god rest his soul but he would say it's just today but then the next day he would do the same thing and say but just it was just one time today yeah and oh, and that and that breaks my heart because i know what that pattern leads to we but find ways to rationalize tomorrow. all the time. I'll start tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's, well, yeah, but every single day you say it's just today. I'm just having bread today. Uh, seven days in a row of that. Or it's, I only had pizza once this week, but then I had McDonald's twice. <laughs> <laughs> when I get into the <sighs> weight loss thing, though, you, you once you live that equation and you're thinking what 500 calories costs on a treadmill. Right. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, I'd rather have that hour of my time. And I think when you don't have people who understand that concept of, of what that, what you just said is, is, and this is, and I do this in my office sometimes, 
when I'm working with people who are weight loss, they're working on weight loss and mental mind change around it is I'll bring in two 10 pound bags of potatoes and I'll ask them to pick them up and stand and talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I have them stand and talk to me, not dumbbells, not like two 10 pound bags of potatoes. So like I'll do two or three minutes of them holding the potatoes and then I'll have them. They're like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? And I'm like, just do it. It's just an experiment. I just want you to do it. And then after, you know, sometimes I can get people to do five, 10 minutes and then I'll have them put them down and um, I'll say, how do you feel? And they're like, oh my God, I'm so much lighter. I'm like, imagine if you drop 20 pounds. Imagine if you drop 10 of those pounds, how yeah. do you feel? Yeah. And it all of a sudden it's like, click. And you can see it. And then the next week we're, we're down five pounds. Yep. Because the, the mental visual of, oh my God, that's what it actually feels like. Cause you're holding it. Yeah. So you don't realize what it goes back to the top of the show is like, you don't realize that you've got this issue to the depth that it's there until you visually can imagine what is it like, or you, or you sit down and put two pound, two 10 pound bags of potatoes on your lap. And then I say, try to get up. Well, it's difficult, yep. right? Well, this is where we get back to micro goals. Cause what will happen there is you will start the program and it's relatively easy to lose weight at the beginning of the program. Right. And once you see that five pounds down, all of a sudden that becomes important and rewarding to you more than having a piece of bread. Well, right. Because right. all of a sudden you don't want to take away from the success that you see. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's because I didn't eat the bread because I didn't have the pizza. And weight has been a losing proposition to you for so long to right. get some wins. Right. It, that starts to get you going. That's that's the cycle. And, it, and, it's, and it's also in this, and this goes for the physical and the mental pieces on anything else is it's the education, you know, and and this is the. And I use this as an example because it was just in my life recently is, you know, just because you ordered a salad doesn't mean then you order a pizza and then go, well, I had a salad first and then I had pizza. You, you had a Caesar salad that had croutons and <laughs> thousand calories of Caesar dressing yep. on it with buffalo chicken. And then you had a pizza on top of it. Salad is salad is that's not salad. <laughs> that's a fiesta. Yeah. And, but people justify, but I had salad first and then I had the pizza. Even a light salad, no. even a light salad is not the right approach though, no. because all it does is it puts your body into, it kills your metabolism because it puts your body into rationing mode. Exactly. You don't burn, so, you don't burn so the calories. Have salad. It, yeah. a salad is greens and vegetables with like vinegar and oil or balsamic dressing that is light with very low sodium, low sugar and no bread product on it. Um, you know, when you start, that's a salad, yep. cucumbers, it's got tomatoes, it's got carrots, it's got, you know, some garbanzo beans, maybe a boiled egg. Um, but when we start adding in bacon and ham and guacamole and yep. buffalo chicken and croutons and Parmesan cheese, and then a creamy dressing. And I think I've said this before, creamy dressings have tablespoons and tablespoons of sugar in them. Yep. And so then a person says they feel good about themselves because they're like, I had a salad. And then a week later, after they've had salads every day, air quoting salads with their pizza and all their other stuff, they're like, oh, I haven't dropped any weight. I've gained weight. Right. You've gained weight. And they're like, and so they get frustrated and blame it. Well, it's because I had salad. No, it's because of the type of salad that you're eating. And now you're mentally off the mark. And now you're psychologically messed up and down on yourself and yep. anxious and upset and all because now you've gained three pounds because your salad isn't a salad. Your salad is yep. the cheat before the cheat. <laughs> I did the work and it didn't work. So 
So uh, yeah, let's give up. Right. Yeah. Or you quote unquote think you did the work. Right. Yeah. Well, it's you justified it. Yeah. That I it's a healthy thing. So, so even if you have to eat lettuce, it's better to just eat the lettuce. You have to, you have to go get your foot but, fixed. But people love their stuff, and it's it's so it's so if we could take away anything on this is is be be um, educate yourself. On, so if it's whether it's eating something or if it's your uh, body ache or something, educate yourself as best you can on knowing it well enough so that you know how to adjust around it so that you don't make it worse. Yep. And and don't give up. You know, every time you make a poor choice, you have the opportunity to make a better choice. Just because you make a poor choice doesn't mean you get the efforts and then say, well, I might as well just keep going down this bad path, which is what human nature does. So you have to go get your foot fixed. I do have to go. So before I run, thank you for putting me on track. Um, before I run, this is my last little push. I did sell all my tickets from my raffle for the $2,500 raffle giveaway. Um, and, um, and or 25 uh, yep. or Peloton, your the choice. The drawing is going to be on Saturday. So if you win, you'll hear from me on Excellent. Saturday. Um, I'll look forward to it. You would? I'll look forward to it. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um, and also, I am going to be down at O'Connor Hardware again this Saturday because I did it two Saturdays ago, and it went beautifully, and I raised a whole bunch of money for the New England Patriots Foundation, mm -hmm. and I gave away a, a trip, and I gave away a whole bunch of cool things. So I'm going to be doing the same thing this weekend for three hours because, obviously, it's a marathon weekend. But in the meantime, I did hit my goal for how much my minimum was to raise for the New England Patriots. Congratulations. But I've also exceeded it, and... I'm actually close to $10,000, like off 13, I'm like 1300 off. So if anyone feels compelled to make that number rounder for me to get it to 10,000 <laughs> and give to this great charity, certainly you can go to the links for the, for my give and gain and, and donate directly. You're still open to being entered in the, um, the Patriots raffle, which mm -hmm. is if you give $50, you're entered into that whole big long list up until the 15th of this of so Friday. So after Friday you will no longer you they'll no longer go towards that okay. but um hey anybody out there that wants to jump on in and donate to my giving game page for the England Patriots Foundation and for the Boston Marathon run great and for everyone that's already helped me fantastic <laughs> so you met my helped me meet my goal which takes lots of stress off and I will be my eighth time finisher knock on wood next Wednesday when we meet again. So you guys have a great week and I will, um, I will see you next week. See you next week.